Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for being able to be here today in church. I pray now you be with the Sunday school hour in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, amen. It's good to see you all this morning on a rainy May 1st day. And I know it's hard to imagine, but it is May already. And we're, the year is moving right along, whether we like it or not. So a couple things for you. Ladies, this Saturday is our ladies' banquet, uh, 2.30 at the Royal Buffet. The address is in your bulletin there. Um, the, the reason we moved it to 2.30 is you can still get, that's the latest time to be seated and still get the lunch price. So the lunch price is $9.99 for adults and $3.99 for children, 3 to 9. If they're under 3, they're free. Um, and so that's this Saturday in honor of Mother's Day. It's a ladies' banquet. You don't have to have your mother. You don't have to have your daughter. We assume that all of you had a mother. At some point, you had a mother. Okay, So you qualify. And then, of course, next Sunday on Mother's Day, Evangelist Tim Booth will be with us all day. And we have a special gift for every mother in attendance, a gift for the oldest mother, and a gift for uh, the mother with the most children on the property. Okay, I say that because every year there's... Folks, don't figure it out. It's not how many children you've had in your life. It's how many are here on the property with you. So if you had 100 children and only one is here, only one counts. Okay? How many are here on the property? Next week, also on Mother's Day, is the last day to bring in your baby bottle banks uh, for the uh, Pregnancy Crisis Center here in Akron. So if you have those, ba- those bottles and you've already filled it up, bring it in. If you haven't filled it up, bring it in with whatever's in it. Uh, if you just want to, if you want to count it and just write a check and keep the change, that would be a blessing. But you can bring it in the way it is, um, and we'll take care of that for you on next Sunday. Don't forget to turn your cell phones off. And on Wednesday, <coughs> Wednesday the 4th, we will be having a church business meeting, so I hope that you are here on Wednesday the 4th. A lot of you have asked about my mother. Yesterday was her 93rd birthday. We were supposed to move her yesterday, but the plans fell through. Uh, We did not have final approval for the new location yet, so she's still where she was. Uh, At least she was there yesterday. I don't know, unless they put her on the curb last night. Um, But Lord willing, we will try to get her moved tomorrow. Uh, But these are all things beyond my control. And and I, I felt bad because when I went in to see my mother, okay, they tore down her bed and everything. My wife went in there early in the morning, packed up her room. They got her up and dressed and sat her in our wheelchair so that we could just roll her. We are going to use the shuttle bus with the wheelchair lift and take her to her new home. The plan was that in the morning I would be able to move all of her stuff in and set. When you rent these places, it's like renting an apartment. There's nothing in there. I mean, there's no furniture. There's no drapes. There's no shower curtain. You bring all your own stuff. So I'm bringing all her stuff from her house and want to get it set up to look just like it was where... When she was at home, uh, we were moving a dresser that was her parents' dresser, older than I am, marble top dresser. And um, there was quite a bit of, there's several things that my mother has that are older than me. So I don't know how, you know, how long they've been around, but they weren't new when I was a baby either. So all that being said, try to move her stuff in and just none of it took place. So all of her... Uh, all of the stuff we had ready uh, are still sitting in my truck. I didn't drive the truck today because it would get all wet in the rain, her lift chair and all those things. Uh, and the rest of it's in the church shuttle bus. The idea was go set up her thing, then go take the shuttle bus, wheelchair accessible, take her out to eat for her birthday with all the family, and then take her to her new home. And none of that worked. Uh, so she sat there, and, when, and she knew that there was the things were kind of shaky. So when I went in at 2 o'clock, I took uh, some flowers, and I took some balloons. And uh, my dad used to always buy her turtle candy, uh, the turtle brand even. And it, it used to be in a box. I couldn't find a box anymore with the turtle brand. I could find turtles, 
but not the one that says turtle and has the little picture that turtle got. So I had to buy it in a bag. But I took her that and explained to her. So I said all that to say, I told my mother, I said, Mom, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm a guy that gets things done. And when I can't make it happen, when I say I'm going to make it happen, I feel bad. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry that I caused you all this trouble. I said, no, 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 you didn't cause me any trouble. This is all on other people. It has nothing to do with you. I'm apologizing to her, and she's apologizing to me. It's like, Mom, it's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. You don't worry about it. So we had to bring her, we had all of her medicines, too. We had to bring all of her medicine back in and give it to the nurses and bring her clothes back in because she had no, everything was packed. So hopefully we can get this all taken care of tomorrow um, and uh, pray that that works out and that mom is not um, too anxious about it. Uh, but we found out, you know, mom, the last four or five days, she's just been so tired. We came in, she was sitting in the wheelchair, just sound asleep. And even when she's awake, she just, oh, you know, found out they started giving her a new medicine. She said she didn't know that they were giving her this medicine, but it's an antidepressant. And they've been giving it to her for about 10 days. And I said, do not give her this medicine anymore. And I told my mother, it's this little green pill. If it's there, don't take it. Because it's making her sleep all day. And she's, I was wondering, why is she not? She, she, normally, she's sharp as a tack. By the way, even with her eyes closed, she will tell you what to do. So, I mean, uh, put that over there. You can't even see it. I don't care. Put it over there. Yeah. You know, she's, she's still in charge. Uh, but anyway, so pray for mom. Appreciate all your prayers. It was a difficult 93rd birthday. So I told her when this gets worked out, whether it's tomorrow or Tuesday, we're still going to you know, go out to eat wherever you want and so forth. So pray that that all works out for her. I know it's a little bit difficult, but, you know, it's part of life. Um, if you ask my wife, and we're going to continue to talk today about anger, I need to quit uh, teaching on this because it's making me behave too much. Uh, but, you know, it was, it, it was another one of those things where I sat back and said, I understand this. I know how this works. It's the devil pushing my buttons, trying to get me mad enough to just push me over the edge and do something stupid. You know, and uh, I asked, was I extremely calm? Good answer. Um, I was extremely calm on Thursday through some goofy stuff and all day Friday and uh, all day yesterday, just, you know, uh, at some point, you know, you have to realize, maybe I should take those pills. Maybe, mom, don't take those. Give them to me. Um, but, but at some point, you know, you have to realize when things are beyond your control and there's nothing you can do to make this any better, the only thing you can do is make it worse. And sometimes angry people, and I know I'm teaching Sunday school right now, sometimes angry people and your anger will only make the situations worse. They're not improving the situation. I'll give you, a, for instance, since we're here, and then I'll let you all go and I'll continue to teach on anger. When I was a kid, maybe seven or eight, we were at our cottage at Pomatuming Lake playing, we were playing mush ball. Mush ball is like a big softball. You don't have to have a baseball glove to play it. And that's why we could play it with the neighborhood kids. And you also can't hit it very far. So you can play on a field almost as small as this room because the, the thing's this big and it's soft and you can't, you swing as hard as you want and barely go past that wall. But one of my cousins, a girl cousin of mine, missed the ball and started spinning around like a ballerina with the bat. And I went to pick the ball up to throw it back in. I was the catcher. And when I turned around, she hit me with the bat. Whack, knocked me out and cut my head pretty bad. And they had to take me for stitches. The whole way there in the car, my dad is screaming at me. Stupid kid, blah, 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 just screaming and screaming and screaming at me, calling me names. Like, you know, yeah, dad, I, I intentionally jumped in front of a bat. You know, and my mother's there holding me, ice on my head, and uh, he's just screaming and screaming because he's mad. People that have anger issues, it's the emotion they know. He was scared. He was scared for me. But the, his reaction to it was anger. And after about 15 minutes of that, my mother let loose on him, just tore him to pieces. You think he did it on purpose? Why are you yelling at the boy? Why don't you just shut your mouth? And she just ripped him. And I'm like, yes. Get him, Mom. He said, what'd your dad do? Just shut his mouth and drove. She just chewed him up for about maybe 120 seconds. 
And she said everything I wanted to say and maybe a few things I wouldn't have thought of. And uh, I said all that because at some point you've got to realize when you get in a bad situation, if you're an anger issue person, which I am, your anger is only going to make it worse. Only going to make it worse. Nothing good is going to come from what's going to happen next. So you need to step back and say, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. So good lessons, and somehow I think that God is, it's like, all right, you're going to teach on it, and I'll live it. So we're going to teach on your problems starting next week, so we can get off mine, so that you start having trouble testing what you're learning, instead of me being tested on what I'm learning. And uh, so anyway, good to see you this morning. Let's stand. Sunday school classes, you are dismissed to follow your teacher. We'll sing two verses of this song, then we'll take the offer. Number 202 in your songbooks, Amazing Grace, page 202. On that first verse, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. Man, you may be seated. Bible with me this morning, if you would please, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, before I get into the Sunday School lesson for today, I just want to take a few minutes and review for you the things that we have already talked about. We are talking about underlying emotions, and right now we're talking about anger. I figured I'd try to get my sin out of the way first. And then we'll deal with your sin. So underlying emotions, anger. Um, we talked about identifying your anger, understanding your anger, expressing your anger, bridling your anger, and using your anger. Understanding, once again, that all of our emotions are a gift from God, and therefore anger has some sort of a context wherein it is correct. Realize in the Bible, many times when you see the word anger, it is God that gets angry. And so if God can get angry, then it's obvious that anger must have some sort of a place where it would be spiritual and scriptural, and not always unspiritual and unscriptural. Uh, anger is an emotion uh, that uh, we are told, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and sin not. So anger is an emotion that can be used in a context where it is not necessarily sin. Anger can be used uh, sometimes in the Bible to propel Bible characters to correct some sort of injustice or correct some sort of wrongdoing. And so in that context, it has a scriptural connotation. So we talked about identifying your anger, uh, and we uh, talked about uh, figuring out uh, sort of what your most common characteristic of your anger is. Uh, we talked about responsive rage, 
And I realize other places have different categories, uh, as many as six uh, and as small as two. Uh, I have picked three and given them somewhat different names. Responsive rage. Now, that's somebody that's a volcano, somebody that erupts, that explodes. That's my predominant kind of anger. Um, it's, it's usually immediate. It's verbal. It can be physical as well. Uh, it gives you a f- false sense of power, um, always justifying yourself. And the sad reality about responsive rage is, quite often, it gets a result that you want, and therefore you continue to do it. In other words, you blow up at your employee, and the employee does what you want. You blow up at your wife, and she does what you want. You blow up at your child, and they do what you want. And so you're conditioning yourself with behavior patterns that say, oh, it gets what I want, so therefore it's okay, because it gets a desired result or the correct result. Uh, But by the way, the ends does not justify the means. Okay, the ends do not justify the means. Just because the right thing ends up at the end, the outcome doesn't justify the wrong behavior to get there. Then we talked, and we talked about that. I keep wanting to go back and talk about it again because uh, I'm trying to learn it, I guess. Uh, we talked about re- repressive denial. Repressive denial avoids conflict and confrontation. Uh, these people would rather be a doormat. Uh, they turn all their feelings inward. Uh, quite often they feel like in every situation... Uh, if they at all feel any anger that they're wrong and they're sin- it's sinful and they shouldn't feel that way and they feel very guilty because of it, um, they become very depressed quite often, uh, very poor self-image. Uh, all those things are associated with that. And then we talked about redirected rage. That would be what the world calls passive-aggressive. Uh, this is somebody who gets angry and like a squirrel, they tuck away that anger like the squirrel tucks away the nuts to bring out at another time. So they tuck away that anger, but what happens is you only have a certain capacity to hold in your anger. And at some point, it's going to start leaking. It's going to start leaking out. And it leaks out to the wrong people at the wrong times in the wrong places. Sometimes you are very stealth-like in the way you do things. Um, In other words, you don't scream and yell and holler at somebody like I would. You just hide your toothbrush. Or throw it in the toilet and then put it back on the rack for them. I shouldn't give you guys ideas, should I? I see the teenagers going like, oh, yeah, now there's an idea to get back at my brother. You know, he screams at me, and after he brushes his teeth, I'll just say, did you brush your teeth this morning? And I'll smile. Because I know where your toothbrush has been. Um, you know, uh, silly things. Hide your wife's car keys because you're mad at her. And uh, you're telling her she always forgets where her keys are, so you take them and hide them. And then don't say anything. By the way, these would not be people that do it as a joke because the great thing of a joke is to tell someone you played the joke. Uh, but a repressive rage person just has the sheer satisfaction that I tortured them just a little bit. Okay? Now, this is somebody who has this redirected, not, not repressive, I'm sorry, redirected rage. Um, these people also are very sullen. They, uh, they feel unappreciated. They do have a lot of uh, self-esteem issues quite often as well. So understanding your anger. Understand that anger... Um, is a secondary emotion. There's something else that happens before that. So you've got to understand the underlying emotion, the underlying reason that you're angry. Somebody said something and you got angry. So maybe the, maybe the real emotion is that you feel insecure about who you are, and therefore they said that, and your response was anger, because you might believe it. Okay? Um, you know, someone, if someone that knows me or barely knows me, let's say someone who doesn't know me at all, came up to him in a restaurant and accused me of something, uh, and I know it's not true and I'm not insecure about it. Like, you know, you know you're, I'll tell you a story. Here's a true story. It happened here at this church. I wasn't here very long. And uh, I, was, uh, I was waiting for my wife, and she wasn't coming out. I know that's shocking to you. She wasn't coming out. She wasn't coming out. And so I had pulled the car around. I came in, and uh, honestly, I wasn't angry. Very calmly, I said, where's my wife? And a man here said, she's over there. And I said, okay. She's talking? Okay. I'll just wait. Very unusual for me. And this guy said, why don't you go out there and beep the horn? You're not man enough to beep the horn. Go out there and beep the horn until she comes. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he kept saying it. He was trying to bait me. And he wasn't grinning. He was trying to bait me into going out there, the new pastor, and blowing my horn, blowing my horn, blowing my horn, and make everybody in here hate me, seeing how I was treating my wife. 
And I wouldn't do it. I said, no. You're not man enough. Are you? I said, I guess not. And I just grinned. Now, listen, I'm secure enough in my manhood that you're not going to threaten me by telling me I'm not man enough. You know, now, if I was insecure, I'd get mad and scream and carry on. Why? Because maybe that's true. And actually, at one point, he said, you're not man enough. And I said, you really don't know me. You just don't know me. Trust me, I'm man enough. We're fine. I don't have to prove I'm a man by blowing my horn and treating my wife poorly. I don't have to prove, I don't have to prove that to anybody. I'm perfectly comfortable in my skin, maybe too comfortable. I know some people view it as cocky. I call it Christ confidence. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And if I have Christ in me and I can do all things through Christ, why, why should I walk around feeling so insecure and so, you know, taking a back seat to everybody and, oh, woe is me? I'm not doing that. Why? Because I have Christ in me. I do. And I'm not insecure about it. So these people get baited into doing things quite often because of the underlying emotion. Uh, maybe the underlying emotion is fear. I talked about my father's situation. He was really afraid for me and afraid of what was going to happen, and he's just spewing out anger. But he's re- anger is the secondary emotion. The first emotion he has is fear for his child. His second emotion was anger. So understand that anger is a secondary emotion, and because it's a secondary emotion, you need to figure out what is the first emotion, what's the first situation, and solve that. If you solve that, the secondary emotion can take care of itself. Okay, uh, sometimes uh, the underlying emotion is a is a need to control everything. Sometimes it's it's an excessive compulsiveness, of course, which I would have nothing. No, I don't even understand that because it's not me. But when you have that kind of a, a an emotion where you know if you don't keep all the plate, you ever see those guys with those sticks and they spin all them plates? Okay, if you don't keep all the plates spinning, the whole world's going to come to an end, and it's all up to you. You got to do it right. And because you have that emotion, almost a, uh, an anxiety about, I've got to do these certain things to keep everything going, or it's go, everything's going to go to the devil, everything's going to go bad, it's going to go wrong. And when you have that, that emotion of fear and anxiety and whatever to control everything, because nobody can do it as good as you, you know, uh, when you have that, sometimes the secondary emotion to it is anger. You're mad because you can't keep all the plates spinning. You know, sometimes plates need to break, okay? Not when you're throwing them at your wife, okay? I mean, sometimes plates need to break. And sometimes you'll find out that if you quit running around trying to spin all the plates, maybe God would spin a few of them for you. You know, maybe you wouldn't have to keep everything spinning if you would just, hey, he keeps the whole world spinning. Maybe he could spin the little little plates in your life, you know? So, once again, it's a secondary emotion. I'm going to have to move off of that. I talked to you about several things about bridling your anger. When you bridle your anger, I gave you uh, several steps. One of the steps I gave you was to confess it. One was to repent of it. Uh, One was to forgive other people that you might be angry at. Uh, And then to reconcile, to try to find some point of reconciliation. Then we talked uh, the last uh, Sunday that I was here teaching in Sunday school uh, about, uh, we talked about Nahum. Uh, and his expectations in 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, when he went to Elisha, the little maid, his wife's little maid, told him he had leprosy, remember the story, and to go see the man of God, and he goes to see the man of God. First of all, Elisha did not come out to greet him, which was a sign of disrespect, that made him angry. Then Elisha didn't perform some ceremony that he anticipated, he anticipated it would go a certain way, and it didn't, and that made him angry. So he felt disrespected, that made him angry. Then he anticipated things to go one way, and they didn't. He didn't come out and perform some ceremony. He sent a messenger with some information. Uh, Then he sent him to the dirtiest river in the region to to dip seven times. And um, it was what what he was going to have to do was harder than he thought it was going to be. Can I tell you? Sometimes you get mad because things become harder than you thought. Did you ever go to do a very simple job? something that should only take a couple of minutes, and it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, Maybe you had to work all day on it. Maybe when you were doing that job, you created more work. You created more jobs. It got worse and didn't get better. Uh, I was working on a gun the other day. Uh, I have a gun table real near my desk, and when I sit at my desk and get bored, I'll walk over and piddle with some little projects on guns and things. 
and I had a very expensive butt plate by a certain company, and to match another gun, I wanted to put this butt plate on this gun to match, and it was a little too big, but these, these certain kind of butt plates are made to be, they're called grind to fit. So you're supposed to grind them down to make them fit. So I unscrewed the little flat, solid steel butt plate off the gun, laid it on this one, drew it with a pencil, went down to my garage to put it on the grinder, grind it off and to grind the rubber and everything down to make it fit. Only problem was when I did, when I flipped it over and drew on it, I had drawn a line on it one other time for a different gun that I didn't use on it. And I drew that line in pen and it was an eighth of an inch shorter than the line I just drew in pencil. But when I got down there, you know, on your grinder, there's a little safety piece of plastic, which is next to useless. And it's so dirty, half the time can't see through it. So I couldn't see through it very well. And I'm there grinding this down. And you know what I did, right? I ground it to the second line. So now it's too short. First it was too long. Now I made it too short. Well, I thought, you know what? Actually, I got almost to that line on one side, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, there were two lines, and I picked it up to where I could see and dusted it off, and sure enough, I had grounded the pen line here and the pencil line there, and I thought, okay, well, you know what, I'm just going to grind it all the way to that line, and I'll save it. Maybe in the future, I'll have another gun that the butt will be a little thinner, and it'll fit. So while I'm trying to grind it down to that line, now I'm going to fix it. So I messed it up, now I'm going to fix it and be satisfied with what it is. It slips out of my hand and gets caught between the little metal guard here, the rest, and the wheel, and it gouges and... These things are like 30-some dollars. Gouged it and tore it up really bad. Now I pulled it out and I got a big gouge in it. All right, well, maybe I'll find something that's really small. Let's grind it all the way down to where the gouge is out of it. So when I'm grinding it down to where the gouge is out of it, this, this, this thing's like an inch and one-sixteenth thick, and it has little corrugated rubber things, so it's cushioned. It's a recoil pad. Now I've ground, uh, now when I'm doing that and I'm looking at the end, I can't see the fact that I've ground, on the end there's probably, oh, an inch of rubber on each side for you to grind down and smooth that all out and make it fit. Now I've ground past that rubber to the little fins. And so the end has a big hole in it. Now you throw it in the trash because you've totally destroyed it. This is after we had all this problem with the trying to get my mother in, trying to get one piece of paper, a clinical evaluation, faxed from this facility to that facility so they can approve her. And that couldn't be done in a day. It took, literally, my wife had to go the next day, which was yesterday, in in the morning and get the paper in her hand and drive it over to the other facility. But now it's Saturday and there's nobody there that can approve this to let her get in. So... In the midst of all that, to relieve some pressure, I thought I'd work on this gun. But you know what? I asked my wife. I told her I was going to go downstairs and grind this thing, and I came back up. And she said, what'd you do? I said, I ruined it. She said, oh, no. I said, oh, well. You know why? Because when it was happening, I knew what was going on. I knew the devil was pushing my buttons. You're upset about all these things over here that you can't control, now you took something that you thought you could control. And by the way, I do that. I'll take something. I can't fix this. So let me fix something here. Because when I fix it, I, it helps me feel like I've fixed something. I've accomplished something. I've done something. And it relieves a little of my frustration in this situation. I couldn't fix it. So I couldn't fix this situation. And I was trying not to get angry. So I tried to take something. I thought, this is simple. I can fix this. It'll take me 10 minutes to fix this and put it on the gun and it'll all look pretty and I'll look at it and say, oh, wow, and I'll feel good about life. But I destroyed that. And I got a smile on my face just like I'm smiling now because I thought, I understand. This is the devil pushing my buttons. Now you want me to take this frustration, take it back to that situation and go over to the hospital or text this woman on the phone and just blow her out of the water and tell her everything I'm thinking and then I'll never get my mother where I need her. It's not going to be productive. It will make me feel better because I'll get to speak my piece and tell them what sorry employee they are. But it's not going to help my overall situation. It's not going to help my mother. I'm not going to help my mother by making these people mad where she, that, it, that have the power to help her. That's not going to help. So I got to stay calm. Serenity now. My wife keeps going, you know, oh, serenity now. 
So you got to understand sometimes when your buttons are being pushed and how you're going to act or react. Um, he felt disrespected. He, felt he did something happened that he did not anticipate. So sometimes when you anticipate things going a certain way, they don't work out, you get mad. It was more difficult than he thought. Sometimes when things are more difficult, you get upset. Uh, Haman, I said it again, he felt disrespected because he had to publicly go to the dirtiest river as a king and dip seven times. And you know, you know the locals were making fun when he waded out in that river and started to dip himself. You know it. His servants reasoned with him. They reasoned him out of his anger and into reality. Sometimes your anger gives you a false sense of reality, and you need someone to reason you out of your anger and into reality. Okay? Um, sometimes that's what a wife does for a husband. Sometimes that's what a husband does for a wife. Sometimes that's what a pastor does for one of his people. Sometimes it's what one of his people will do for their pastor. Sometimes a good friend will reason you out of your anger back into reality. Because your anger creates its own reality. You know, your anger will create its own reality. I talked to you about my friend, you know, beating up, kicking, knocking down, kicking, beating on with his hands and fists his motorcycle because he was working on it and he couldn't fix it. Well, that's helpful. So his own reality he's created is that this motorcycle, it's the motorcycle's fault, you know. That's not reality. And now he's causing more harm that he's going to, and he's going to eventually have to fix everything he's now breaking. And someone needs to say, hey, idiot, it's not the bike's fault. Hey, you're just, you're, now you're destroying something and you're not going to be able to ride. Now you're going to spend more money and more time trying to fix that. Somebody needs to talk you off the ledge. Okay? You need to have somebody around you like that if you have anger issues. And when there's somebody not like that, you need to get smart enough and spiritual enough to talk yourself out of it. Okay, you don't know how many times I've talked myself out of doing something that I real that my anger really wanted me to do. I mean, really bad, really bad. Um, you know, if if there hadn't been people around me, and if I haven't figured out a little bit, improving slightly, how to talk myself out of some issues, I'd be in prison because I would have banged, I would have absolutely punched out a lot of people. Um, you got to talk yourself off the ledge. And you got to have somebody around. Look, you need a friend that will tell you the truth. Not somebody that's pat you on the back and, oh, poor little baby, blah, 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 blah. Look, in life, you need people that tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. Okay? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, anger can make you miss out on so many of the blessings of God. If Haman wouldn't have, or if Naaman wouldn't have gone down and dipped himself seven times, he would not have been healed from his leprosy. Anger can turn expectations into demands. He could have demanded that Elisha came out. He could have demanded he went to a different river. He could have demanded all these things. In his anger, he could have turned what he expected into demands, and that would have been counterproductive. He never would have been healed. Okay. We need to work on changing our demands into statements that communicate our desires in a constructive way instead of demanding things, okay? Instead of saying, you need to do this, you need to say, you know what, it would be nice if you did this, okay? There's times that I get absolutely furious, absolutely furious with people. And I'm either their boss or their parent or I'm in charge of a situation they're in and I want to lop off their heads and spit down the hole that's left. What I need to do, instead of demanding, I need to say, hey, can you do this? It would be better if you did this. This would be a better way. Instead of, you need to do this. Instead of demanding, because that's what anger wants to do. You need to turn it into a more respectful request. Now, to our text this morning. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And you say, why are you in Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Well, let's read it, and I think maybe you'll understand. What are we talking about? Anger. You're too mad to tell me, huh? Anger. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant 
and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, that means to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, <clears throat> and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Now you'll notice in verse 8, it says a time to love and a time to what? Hate, anger, okay? So there's a time for everything. But here's what, here's, here's, what do you think, where do you think I'm going when I read uh, the famous text here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're talking about anger? What do you think I'm going to talk about? Nope. Good guess. Say again? No. Good guess. What is it that angry people struggle with? Patience. Patience. All my life, preachers have said, don't ever pray for patience, because God will bring a whole bunch of things into your life to try to teach it to you. Can I tell you something? You don't have to pray for patience for, for, for all kinds of things that come into your life to try to teach it to you. Angry people do not have patience. They are the most impatient people in the world, and they get angry and frustrated when they have to do what? Wait. That's the word. That's the dirty little word. Wait. A four-letter word of its own. Wait. I had a Volkswagen diesel rabbit. Diesel. Diesel. That's a joke. You have to ask him about it. Go ask Lyle after the service. A diesel rabbit. Now, back in the day, this is be, oh, I bought it used from my dad for $500, and it was 1981, maybe? 80? No, 81. 1981. Thing got 65 miles to a gallon. You had to turn the key on, and there was a little orange light that came on, and you know what it said? Wait. When the light went out, then you tried to start the car. Do you know that that little light bothered me so much that I put a piece of tape over it? I took a black piece of electrical tape and put it on the dash so that I wouldn't... Even the car is telling me to wait. Even the car. And by the way, I mean, like with our buses, I don't think we have a... I don't think we have a wait light on our buses, do we? I don't even know. Um, you know, anytime I've, and I've, I've owned all kinds of diesel things. I just got rid of that red diesel truck I had, but I always turn the key on and wait. I will do it without being told. I just don't want to be told to wait. And I don't mind a light that says something else, but it had that dirty little word on it, wait. And that drove me insane. I tell my wife all the time, don't tell me to wait, just do it without telling me. I hate it when people say, just wait a minute, or wait, uh, wait a second. No, it's not a second. Wait a second. One. Are we ready now? Okay. Just say, okay, and then do whatever you're going to do. But don't use the word wait, or in a minute. I'll get to it when I can. Because okay? anger says, no, 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 no. You will do it now. Okay? So angry people have trouble with being patient. Being patient. So let me talk to you about some things about being patient. The text explains to you that there is a time for everything. Now let me ask you. Who, pray tell, could you take a wild venture, a wild guess, a random thought about who created time? And who would that be? Let there be light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. God created time. Since God created time, not only did he create time, he also controls time. In the Bible, do you know of a situation, or maybe there are several you can think of, where God extended time? 
How about when Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands? How about when the sundial moved backwards? God not only created time, he controls time. He controls it. Okay? Not only can he lengthen time, guess what else he can do? He can shorten time. He can shorten time. God exists outside of time since he is eternal with no beginning and no end. And a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. You've got to understand that whole phrase, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, is explaining to you that God operates outside of the boundaries of time. Time has absolutely no effect on this eternal being. He chooses to deal with you in time because time affects you. Look at all of us. I asked my mother yesterday, how old are you today? And she said, 63. I said, Mother, I am 63. And she said, oh, no, no, I knew that. I'm 30 years. She said, I was trying to think. It's funny. Here's the way she was doing it. I'm 30 years older than my son. How old's my son? He's 63. And that's what she said. She said, oh, no, I'm 93. And what's funny is, you know how I figured out how old I am? I'm 30 years older than my mother. How old is my mother? 93, subtract 30. Okay, I'm 63. She was 30 when I was born. I know, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Anyway, back in the day, that was old for having babies. Nowadays, not so much. Ladies are having babies all the way up into their 50s almost. Lord forbid. How old is Jeanette? Jeanette's 40 this year. So my daughter had her baby when she was 39 in, the, in 39 and 9 months. She'll be 40 in September, September 20th. By the way, I just said that because it's, uh, occasionally when I remember something, I have to recite it so that it helps me remember it for the next time. But we have a lot of people who have that birthday. It's my sister's birthday and so on. Anyway, September 20th, she'll be 40. So back in the day, though, 30 was really old for women to have babies. Okay, really, really old. So my mother always says, you know, they, had my, they, they couldn't have children for six years. They thought they weren't going to be able to have children. And then my, my sister came along. And then they thought, well, that's it. They'll never have any more children. And three years later, they had me. And my mother said, and you ruined me. I never had any children after that. I said, no, I perfected you. Once you reach perfection, there is no use continuing. You have hit perfection. No need to continue. Rosemary, nah, no perfection. Need one more. Ah, the promised child. Here he is. But anyway, be that as it may, you've got to understand that God controls time. And so God created time. God controls time, and God has put everything in a cycle so that it happens in a particular time. When things do not happen in their proper time, they become wrong. Listen to me now. Wrong is going to always be wrong, but right at the wrong time can be wrong. Are you listening? Wrong is always wrong. But right in the wrong time can be wrong. For instance, it says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embrace. Young people, the time to embrace is when you're married. Okay? Outside of marriage is the wrong time. And if you could take something God has given as a gift, okay, you to have a husband or a wife is a gift from God. But if you take that physical relationship outside of the marriage... It's in the wrong time. Because it's in the wrong time, it becomes wrong. It's not that that's wrong, it's wrong at that time. Okay? It's wrong at that time. And by the way, even to get married. Sometimes people get married, you know, at 18, right out of high school. And if that's not the will of God, it's the wrong time. It's the right thing. And maybe even that's the person you're supposed to marry. And you've messed it all up. This is the right person that you're supposed to marry, and it's the will of God for you to marry that person, but maybe you were supposed to wait a year or two. You did it in the wrong time. People get married sometimes, young couples, and they want to buy a house right away and buy a new car and buy new furniture and buy all this stuff that they can't afford. And maybe it's the will of God for you to own a house. I think everybody should own a home and not rent. I think renting is like tearing up money and throwing it into the wind. But there's a time. There's a time you got to do it in the right time. The right time. So, wrong is always going to be wrong. 
But the right thing in the wrong time is a problem. You know, a, a lot lately I've been discussing timing. Um, some, <laughs> sometime, that's funny, it was, it was about to come out of my mouth. Sometime, or sometimes, I need to talk to somebody, and I know I need to speak to them, I know I need to situ solve the situation, but I have to deal with, should I do it right now? Should I wait? Where should my timing be? Okay? Because I know I need to talk to this person. I know I need to straighten Andre out. I know I've got to straighten him out. But maybe I should wait till I'm calmed down. Maybe I should wait till he's calmed down. Maybe this isn't the right time to tell him what really he needs to be told. It's the right thing to tell him. But maybe this is the wrong time to tell him that. Okay? When I'm laying under a church bus, and I'm trying to fix it, and I've just broken a bolt and split my knuckles wide open when the bolt broke, this is not the time for my assistant pastor to say, you know, you really should have taken this to a shop and paid somebody to fix it. Okay? He probably needs to say that to me. But not right now. Okay? Right now, I'm laying under a bus. I just broke a bolt and made the situation worse. I have bloodied my hand. And if he says that, he better be able to run faster than I can throw this wrench. Okay? I am not in the frame of mind to embrace that information at this point. Do you understand? Timing. Timing. Okay, sir, your wife fixed a new dish, and it's horrible. Almost unedible. Okay, if that's never happened to you, God bless you. It's happened to me. My wife's a great cook. And every time she says, I'm trying something new tonight, I think, dear God, please, please. Now, sometimes she does that, and it's, but most of the time. And now, much better. When we first got married, every time she'd say, I'm trying something new tonight, I'd think, how late is Burger King open? It's just, you know. Uh, and when I was young, I was not as refined as I am now. There were times when I ate something and I went, oh, this is horrible. Okay? Okay. We were married for 13 months when Jessica was born and then 13 more months and Joey was born, and then 19 months and Jeanette was born, and then two years and James was born. I said all that because the first five years of our marriage, my wife was in perpetual pregnancy. Okay? You guys have no clue. The women here are all going, because they know exactly what I'm going to say, and a couple of you men. You've got to be careful what you say to a pregnant woman. Their hormones are all over the place. Okay? They may slit your throat while you're sleeping. You watch what you say. Okay? So she's, here's the pregnant mother, you know, she's got two little ones running around in diapers, and she's on her third one, and she just tried a whole new meal for her husband, and he says, ah, oh, what's this garbage? Can't even eat it. Okay? Not a smart thing. Now, let me say something else. If you lie and say, oh, this is so wonderful, this is so great, you're going to get it again. And if you eat it for 15 years and then finally say, you know, I've always hated that, why do you make it? You always tell me you like it. Now, I have heard that very conversation go on between couples. My wife and I have never had that conversation. Only because I have never been kind enough to do the right thing that I'm telling you to do. And that is, you eat it, she says, how is that? Oh, wow, thank you so much for making this. I really appreciate your effort. I really appreciate the time you put into it. You might want to wait a day or two and say, sweetheart, you know, the next time you want to make that flaming chicken a la king, maybe don't. Or I would prefer that you make the lasagna that you make so well. That's a good line. I would prefer that you make whatever her best dish is or whatever you like really well. I would really prefer that. The next time that's on the menu, let's just 
skip it. Let's just move on. Even a couple days later with a pregnant woman, you may still have to dodge a few flying plates. Probably not. Okay? But I can tell you this. My wife's not a crier. I know some of you women are criers. That's okay. Some of you boys are criers, too. That's not okay. Anyway, that's another, that's, that's another sermon. Um, but unless my wife was pregnant, I can never remember making her cry. My wife has cried, obviously, in front of me for different situations. But me making her, causing her to cry, has only happened when she was pregnant. And you talk about absolutely crushing me. Nothing hurts me more than see my wife cry. Nothing. You know, I wasn't at all sad about my dad's funeral, but I sat here and my wife was crying. And when I started to choke up in the funeral and I said, I'm crying because of her, I really meant it. Her sorrow affects me. Okay? I, wasn't cry- I, I, haven't, I still have not shed a tear over my father. I sat in my mother's, next Sunday's Mother's Day, and Brother Booth is here preaching, so I won't be preaching. I'm preaching a Mother's Day sermon today because I won't get to preach on Mother's Day. And I don't mean it to sound like this, but, you know, there's something in my brain that says this is my mother's last Mother's Day, maybe. And when I moved all of her stuff out and everything kind of went to pot yesterday, I sat in my dad's chair that was left there, which I had moved to the middle of the room, and I sat and looked at that empty room, and I started remembering 10 years ago when I built it. And when my parents came, and I moved them into it. And I started remembering all the different things that were there. I didn't cry. But I got very quiet, very sad. My wife called me, and I was sitting in the chair, and she said, were you sleeping? I said, no. I said, I'm just sitting here. And I said, for the first time, I'm sad. I'm sad. I wasn't sad about my father's death because he suffered so long, I wanted him to go to heaven. I prayed every day that God would take him to heaven. I couldn't stand to see him suffer. And to be honest with you, I was mad. I was mad that my dad was suffering. But when I looked at my mom's empty apartment and I sat in my dad's chair and I realized that very soon I never knew my Italian grandparents my German grandparents passed away my grandma passed away when I was 11 my grandfather when I was actually pastoring but I realized this is the last I don't, you know, I don't have any other parents and grandparents and so forth and uh, I sat there and I told my wife at my dad's funeral, I said, it'll be harder when mom goes. It'll be much harder for me. But I'm trying to already come to grips with that so that when the time comes, I'll be better prepared. But yesterday was one of those quiet moments. I said all that because I know that I have to make important decisions as time goes on, and everything has a time. That's what we just read about. And so that I don't get angry or bitter at God or angry or bitter at situations, I have to step back. The first place we were going to put mom fell through. I got a message that I didn't realize was sent to me. It was sent to me at 10 o'clock at night on Thursday night to tell me we are, we are not going to accept your mother. So now I have to scramble on Friday and Saturday to try to find another place, which I'd already talked to somebody. We thought we had that worked out. All we need is one piece of paper. They said we're 99.9% sure this will be no problem. We'll take care of it. This is first thing Friday morning. And I'm thinking we're going to get the approval today. and We're going to move her in tomorrow. Everything's going to click right off. Didn't work like that. And I had to look at everybody involved and say to my wife, it must not be God's time. Time. When you deal with anger issues... Angry people and people that struggle with anger issues have to learn how to be what? Patient. So I I would suggest to you that when you read the lovely poetic books of the Bible that you do not skip over Ecclesiastes. Psalms, wonderful. Proverbs, wonderful. Have anger issues? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Read it and read it. Memorize the first eight verses so that you can say them over and over. When you're in traffic and you're having an anger issue, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Remind yourself, God created time, God controls time, and God can extend or reduce time. Everything that's right is only right in God's time.
and you're going to have to be patient enough to let God be God, and you try to be you. You know, it works a lot better when I do my job and let God do his. And it will help you with a lot of those anger issues. Let's stand. We dismiss in a word of prayer. The preaching service starts in four minutes. Enough time for you to run to the restroom and run back. And we'll see you in four minutes. Father, bless your word to us. Help us as we learn how to deal with anger issues. Help us to be patient, allowing you to do things in your time. Well, thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed for about four minutes.